United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Frank Alm is senior expert on Northeast Asia at the U.S. Institute of Peace, here to talk about Biden's trip. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Julie. Good to have you. So uh, these, this is the first time Biden is meeting these two leaders, uh, the new leaders of uh, South Korea and Japan. How do you think that's going? Uh, by all accounts, it went very well. Of course, uh, Biden has been to South Korea before, but this is the first time that he's meeting the new South Korean president, Yoon sung yeol So the main priority was really to establish a relationship between the two leaders, um, build trust. Fortunately, there was already a lot of goodwill built in since uh, their respective policy advisors have a history of working together during previous administrations. But I heard that they bonded uh, well and, and established rapport over uh, their love of pets and, 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 uh, mm-hmm. and just they, they have a, and President Yoon himself is a very much a pro-U.S. Uh, person. So they had a lot to share and discuss. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've read quite a bit about the new South Korean president, and even though he was described as very conservative and have a very different posture toward North Korea, the foreign policy of that country, particularly as it, at, with regard to the United States, was not undergoing a significant change. That's right. Um, so there's always a big concern about North Korea uh, because it's, you know, very close neighbor, proximate, and, they, and North Korea has been conducting a lot of missile tests uh, recently. So on a policy level, the main focus of the summit was really strengthening deterrence against the North Korean threat. Um, we're hearing reports that it's very possible that we could see another intercontinental ballistic missile range test from North Korea, and even North Korea's seventh nuclear test sometime in the near future. So uh, at the summit, two sides agreed to expand the scale and scope of joint military exercises as well as increase the deployment of U.S. strategic assets to the Korean Peninsula. And both of these things, the military exercises and the deployment of assets, had been on pause since 2018 because uh, the previous administrations, Trump and Moon Jae-in, were both trying to engage with North Korea. And this is exactly what uh, the new UN administration wanted. They wanted to beef up the military exercises. They wanted greater displays of resolve and might like U.S. B-52 bomber missions to the peninsula and a greater U.S. carrier strike group presence. And of course, you know, this approach dovetails nicely with what the Biden administration was seeking, which was a greater uh, combined posture on the Korean peninsula, not only as a stern signal to North Korea, but also to pressure China to do more to rein in North Korea's bad behavior. One last point I want to make is that the concern with all these military displays of toughness is that they don't seem to actually deter bad behavior from North Korea. So back in 2013, the alliance engaged in similar deterrence-boosting activities in response to North Korean testing. And these moves not only didn't deter North Korea or force it back to the negotiating table, but in the following years, North Korea actually achieved the greatest advances in its nuclear program, including three more nuclear tests and over 90 ballistic missile tests. Uh, Biden apparently offered North Korea and China some effective vaccine. I'm sure China took that as a huge insult, um, even though their vaccine <laughs> doesn't seem to work very well. But uh, n- no no uptake from North Korea. Well, uh, in, in terms of COVID, uh, there are over 2 million reported cases of fever-like symptoms. Uh, symptoms. So 
uh, it appears that North Korea is, is encountering a very severe COVID crisis right now. Um, Biden and, and, and Seoul also reiterated their offers of assistance, but North Korea has yet to request or accept direct aid from the two countries. There's reports of North Korea uh, bringing in aid from China. There are planes that are flying in from Beijing. But again, North Korea is one of two countries in the world, uh, the other being Eritrea, that has not engaged in a vaccination campaign. So it's going to be facing a, a very uh, rough COVID crisis uh, uh, over the next uh, several months on top of its chronic food and health problems. You know, it's interesting, Frank, we were speculating a little bit on the show last week that North Korea, even uh, disclosing as much as they did just before Biden's trip, might have been or could be interpreted as a bit of an overture, like saying, hey, we're like admitting they're having a COVID problem when we thought all along they probably had one. But but coming out with that before Biden's trip. But I don't know, maybe not. Or maybe it's one of those things that's going to be back channeled and we won't know about it till a year later kind of thing. Yeah, it's hard to tell why North Korea is is making public its COVID crisis right now. It could be that in the past, they were very effective in preventing a, a major outbreak. Uh, they were very severe in their lockdown. Um, and they have the ability, of course, as an authoritarian government to control uh, the, the movement of people and, and prevents these sorts of things. Um, but I think right now, it, it also could be the case that if you don't admit to a crisis, then you can't get aid. And mm -hmm. so maybe they're feeling at this point they need to admit to it so that they can get uh, more international assistance. But again, uh, the, the U.S. has been clear in, in, in sort of the, the secret channels about their offers for assist, uh, uh, assistance, and North Korea hasn't seemed to accept just yet. So we'll see what happens over the next few months. Now, Frank, on the China, um, I mean, on the Japan part of, of Biden's trip, a few things. Um, Japan is now going to start increasing its defense spending, which Biden was happy to hear. They want a, a, a permanent seat on the U.N. Security Council, and they're going to support the U.S. and provide like sort of, you know, potentially a staging ground if uh, if the U.S. gets into it with China over Taiwan. What, what do you make of all those things? Well, uh, the president is there in Japan right now. I don't want to speak too much to it because the meetings aren't over yet. But uh, those are all goals that they were looking to achieve in Japan. Uh, and, and, and President Biden uh, reconfirmed his commitment to um, supporting, uh, supporting Taiwan in case of any uh, Chinese intervention there. And so I think that was a big deal. And typically we've been uh, more ambiguous in the past about our response to Chinese uh, uh, action there. But uh, Biden was pretty clear about that. So I think those are all things that you know, Taiwan certainly is probably happy to hear. Yeah, for sure. And what about that permanent seat on the U.N. Security Council? Do you think they'll ever reform that and, and get Russia and China out of there? Or, or, or are they just too big to exclude? Yeah, that's not going to happen. I, I think um, that the, the, the permanent seats on the Security Council were uh, something that happened um, at the end of the uh, uh, World War II. Um, I don't see how that can happen um, without a, a radical change in the U.N., almost to the point where the U.N. doesn't exist, because you, you won't have those two powers give up their seats. So you're going to have to have a, a different system altogether. But it, it does raise the bigger problem that we have right now, because we can't get things done in the international community when two of the permanent seats, Russia and China, aren't acting um, uh, according to international law and norms. 
Yeah, I think the UN has has not fared well in this Ukrainian conflict. Right, right. And, and not only that, I mean, just going back to North Korea uh, and after all the, the missile tests that North Korea has conducted and we're trying to uh, impose additional sanctions through U.N. Security Council resolutions and Russia and China are just not playing along. They're saying that sanctions are not effective in, against North Korea. So, yeah, it's the, the U.N. Security Council is becoming uh, a less of an effective body when we can't overcome those uh, two vetoes. So China being like a continued subject, uh, you know, subtext to his trips to um, South Korea and Japan. Um, what, what's what's the message that, that Biden's been sending on this trip to China? The overall message is that the U.S. is a major uh, player in the Indo-Pacific region. I know there's been some concerns because. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, Biden has been emphasizing the Pacific and our, our competition, our strategic competition with China, there's been other crises that has been taking up his time. Afghanistan last year, Myanmar, and then this year, of course, the situation in Ukraine. And so this is really Biden's opportunity to say, hey, we are major players. We are involved. We have a major presence, not only militarily, but also economically as well with the announcement of the new Indo-Pacific economic framework. Seems timely considering he just hosted the ASEAN conference where a lot of those members were butt sore about the U.S. paying too much attention to Europe and the Middle East and not enough to Asia. That's right. And, and, and we just heard that there are seven ASEAN countries that will be participating in the Indo-Pacific economic framework. And I, they're probably very reassured about uh, U.S. reaffirming its, its uh, commitment and role. But I mean, has the U.S. finally pivoted to Asia or is it still a work in progress? It will always be a continuation uh, and a long-term process. Uh, I think um, the, our allies and partners in the Indo-Pacific region uh, always want uh, demonstrations of reassurance, not just in, not just militarily, but also in terms of our economic uh, weight and presence. And so this is not something that happens in a, in a, in a single summit or a meeting or a year. So we're going to have to continue to, to strengthen those efforts. I mean, I would like to pivot to the south of France. Frank, where would you like to pivot to? <laughs> I'm going to France uh, in a couple of oh. weeks. So uh, I'm, I'm, that pivot is real for me. Oh, man, you're manifesting that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Frank Holmes, senior expert on Northeast Asia at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Great to talk. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.